Hey guys, before I wrote this nice little intro for the episode that you like so much, I just wanted to grab the microphone and share really quickly, that is my birthday. That's right, it's my birthday, it's not today, it's not tomorrow, but it's this month, it's September 22nd, and just like people like to receive gifts, I like to give gifts, so I'm giving a free copy of my book, uh, in addition to that, I'm giving a free online course and a free Kindle version. Uh, there is a YouTube video that I made on that subject. You can check for more details. But I am giving a hard copy of my book for free. All you have to do is share a fact or two or three or five or seven, no matter, no matter how many you have. Share a curious fact. Wow me until the 22nd of September when it's my birthday. And then after that, I will pick the best fact, the most curious fact. And I will send you, if you win, I will send you this book no matter where you are in the world. All you have to do is get your facts or facts and create a post in the form of just a text or a picture or a video or voice note or whatever it is. Post it, whatever it is, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn and use hashtag CuriousPavel so I can see the post. Do that until the 22nd of September and I wish you good luck. I hope you get the book. Now, let's roll that intro. Hello, my dear curious friend. Welcome to yet another episode of the Curious Pavel Podcast Sessions. If you are following the podcast, you already know that in one of the first episodes, we traveled to Sevilla in Spain, which is in Andalusia. That's the name of the region. There, I met you with Jose, a local tour guide from Sevilla. Today, in this episode, I'm going to meet you with Karan who has a company and is doing tours in the whole of Andalusia. So basically, we're going to spread up. We're going to be spread out. We're going to be traveling outside Sevilla as well, in the whole region. We're going to be talking about food, drinks, what's the wine culture in Andalusia, cheese. We're going to be talking about cheese and also a really interesting festival that is happening in May. And it's so interesting that I really need to book a flight to go there in May. I'm really excited to share this episode with you, so buckle up, hop on the train, and let's travel to Andalusia. Hello, hello, <laughs> hello, Karan. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the podcast session. How are you doing today? I'm good. Hi from Madrid, Spain, where it is about 42 degrees. Right oh my now. God. So. Talk to me. Talk to me because it's raining here in UK. Just talk to me about the sun. I forgot how it looks like. I'll tell you what, why don't you send the, sun, the rain and I'll send some of this. I love the sun, but this is a lot. <laughs> it sounds like a fair deal if, you, if we can just exchange a bit. Yeah, a little, a little bit. <laughs> okay, uh, we will be talking about Andalusia today. Uh, which I'm very, very excited because I visited Sevilla and Malaga and oh, you see these are so beautiful and so magnific. Like it's really nice to be there. But before we go there, uh, what I usually ask my guests is to introduce themselves, not just by the name, but the short story, what's happening in their life because I have never met you. Totally. So Yes, go, go ahead, I'm go here. ahead. Um, I'm from California, oh. but I live here in Madrid, Spain. And um, I have my own Spain travel consulting company, which, you know, we're in a little global pause of traveling right now, but I help inbound travelers arrange their itineraries to Spain to see Spain a little bit more off the beaten path. And my company is called Spain Less Traveled, the American way of spelling it, T-R-A-V-E-L-E-D, uh -huh. no two L's. Okay. And um I'm also, I also founded and administer, um, we have 8,000 members now, over 8,000, the Travel Spain with the exclamation point community on Facebook, where we talk about Spain and what we love about Spain. And really right now, we're just keeping the Spain inspiration alive while none of us can really travel. And this is where we met, actually. I joined the group and you were so, you're so kind and warm and warm and welcoming. I was like, ah. Oh. It would be nice to hear uh, a bit more about Spain from somebody like you. Um, so how did you end up in Spain in the first place? <laughs> so um, I did the full-on digital nomad thing for almost eight years. I worked remotely for Airbnb. Um, and I just found myself going in and out of Spain because I'm American. We can only spend three months at a time here. So three months in and three months out. 
and just absolutely falling in love with the little towns in Spain, the villages, the nature, everything about Spain. It reminded me of California, but with a European flair. And um, I left Airbnb two years ago and decided that I was going to just apply for the visa so I could live in Spain full time. So here I am. All right. So what what did you do with Airbnb? Um, I helped. I basically helped build their customer their customer service department. Um, I trained and out with our outsource partners. I helped mentor and train in our Dublin office and our Portland office as well. And um, really the jack of all trades, like when a really difficult case came in, my team was in charge of it. We, we started at Airbnb in 2011, which was when Airbnb was still a baby. So we really helped build the foundation of what Airbnb is today. And yeah. even though I left two years ago, I'm still pretty connected to it. I have a lot of friends who work there up until, up until, COVID kind of ruined the travel industry, but um, yeah, it was a great journey and a great learning experience to see a company start from being a baby until where it is now. You must be very proud to yeah, yeah to see what's happening with Airbnb. Um, okay, so but I have to ask you if you're so you know keen on Andalusia and uh, why are you living in Madrid? <laughs> Million dollar question yeah. right there. Um, Madrid for somebody who's self-employed and is moving to just moved to Spain, it's a great city. We have a great network of other entrepreneurs here in Spain, lots of resources. And because I do itineraries for all over Spain, Andalusia is my passion. I love it, but I really, I send people to the North. I send people all over. Madrid is the central hub of transportation. So I can be on a bus or a train and pretty much be anywhere in Spain within a few hours. And I love Madrid. I really do. I'm a city girl. I'm from San Francisco. And Madrid is active. It's vibrant. It's lively. It's friendly. It's everything I want in the city except for one thing, which is it's not on the sea, mm. which I'm learning to deal with. But um, I, abs- I love Madrid. I adore it. It's the beating heart of Spain. And you can find little part, like a little bit of every part of Spain here in Madrid. If I want Astorian food, which is from the north, that's available. There's a Galician culture center. There's just so much to see and do here in Madrid, and it's friendly. It has great public transportation, great biking. So it just made sense to land in a city for living. Your points are so valid. I completely understand what you mean with everything, with the sea, with the transportation, with with the you know. The hub, the center of Spain. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. You answered this cor- uh, this correct. You got the million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Let's just move it to the sea, and you know it would be absolutely perfect. Yeah. But... I agree. Agree. Okay. Let's talk about Andalusia then. Um, all I know is that we're gonna be talking about the off beaten path of Andalusia. As I told you, I visited only Sevilla and Malaga. So, um, how about you tell us what we're gonna see? There, like what's in what's on your mind? So Andalusia is perfect. It really has everything. But just to backtrack a second, um, a lot of people don't realize just how large Andalusia mm-hmm. is. It's made up of eight different provinces and um it's very diverse. Um obviously it has the Moorish culture, the Jewish culture, then later, well, you know, throughout the Christian culture, the Romans were there as well. Basically, everyone has been through there. So what you have now is this beautiful land that's just this mesh of cultures, and it has everything. It has beaches, both on and off the beaten path, of course, cities like Malaga and Sevilla and Granada and Cordoba. Also, um, for me, my heart, the heart and soul is the small towns, the pueblos. I love the little villages of Andalusia. It has amazing food, amazing culture. When I think when people who aren't from Spain think about Spain, they think about Andalusia because it really is textbook Spanish culture. It's where flamenco was born, for example. A lot of the traditional Spanish food like gazpacho and salmorejo are from Andalusia. Um, Andalusia is the birthplace of the free tapa with a drink. So it's really very, very Spanish, very beautiful, very friendly, very hot in the summer, but good weather. very laid back. It's just a beautiful region. And there's so much to explore there outside of the major sites, which 
there's nothing wrong with the major sites. I love Sevilla. And personally, Granada is my favorite is my favorite city in Spain. It's where I bring all my first time visitors uh. because it's so magnificent and so beautiful. In fact, a friend of mine who lives here in Madrid, who has never been to Granada, we're going for the weekend this coming weekend because I said, you have to see Granada. And now without the number of visitors, it's going to be amazing. So there's a lot there's a lot to be said about the places that are on the beaten path, are on the, you know, are on travelers' radars. But beyond those places, there's so much to see and do. And the cool thing about it is, is you can stay in a city like Sevilla or Granada and then take day trips off the beaten path as well if you don't want to do an entire off the beaten path itinerary of Andalusia, which you could do too. Okay. I when I went there, I was planning to visit so I visited Sevilla and Malaga. I was planning to visit Cordoba and Granada as well, but I didn't have the time. So next time. Yeah, next time, next time. So definitely Andalusia is the best place to start when you go for the first time in Spain. I think so. I mean, for people coming here from overseas, a lot of times what they'll do is combine Andalusia in with the two big cities, which are of course Madrid and Barcelona. Um, because everybody wants to go to Barcelona. It's the most famous place in Spain. Mm-hmm. Madrid is a great hub and is an underrated city. And I actually push it a little more than I push Barcelona personally. But um, Andalusia, it's really easy to combine with the city. So, for example, you could fly in and out of Madrid and take the train down there. Or there's flights from Barcelona as well, the Granada, Sevilla, Malaga. Um, it's, a very, it's an easy region to get to and should definitely be included on a first-time itinerary of Spain. If not the whole thing, then combine it with the cities. All right. So I'm thinking now on top of my head here, what if we just, you know, quickly make, a, let's say, few days travel plan for the people that want to visit first time or they haven't been to Andalusia? What would you say about that? What I would say is, um, first of all, I highly recommend spending at least three nights everywhere you visit. Anywhere, anything else I just think is a little too rushed. As I said, Andalusia is a really big region. So the distance between, for example, Cadiz, which is on the far western side, and uh, Almeria, which is on the far eastern side, is large. Mm-hmm. So you want to give yourself plenty of time and um, plenty of time to visit. The, you know, it's, again, based on, I like to base my itineraries for my clients on people's individual interests. But for a blanket trip to Andalusia, what I would recommend is probably three to four nights in all of, in, in, uh, not Madrid, that's, sorry, in, uh, in, uh, in Sevilla. Okay. Three to four nights in Granada, a few nights in Cordoba, Cadiz on the um, Atlantic coast is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then from all of those places, you can take day trips. If you're really interested in the Mediterranean coast, Malaga is a nice place to be based. Um, it's a good city. There's a lot of art there as well, and you can take day trips from there. El Maria is really beautiful. You can go to the uh, Cabo de Gata if you really want to get away from it all and get to parts a little bit more unknown in Andalusia, especially on the Mediterranean coast. So I would say, let's just say that you have, I don't know, 10 days, nine days. I'm not very good at math. Okay. Um I would probably do three nights in Sevilla and do a day trip up to some of the Pueblos Blancos beyond Ronda. Ronda's beautiful, but Ronda is so, so over-touristed. Um, Grasalema is a beautiful little Pueblo. It's one of my favorites. Um, Zahara de la Sierra is absolutely beautiful as well. Overa is one that none of the big tour buses go to. In fact, most travelers don't even go to it. It's a beautiful little village. And these are all, if you rent a car, these are all really accessible out of Seville on a day trip or out of Cadiz as well. Then, of course, three days in Cadiz, you could do a day trip like that as well. You could also go down to the Costa de la Luz, which is on the Atlantic side of um, of Spain's mm-hmm. coast. And the beaches there are windier, but also just a little chiller. It doesn't have Normally, the amount of people that you'd see in somewhere like Torremolinos or Marbella on the Mediterranean coast. Definitely three nights in Granada, giving yourself a whole day at the Alhambra, which is not off the beaten path by any stretch of the imagination, which which is a must-see if you're coming to Spain. The Alhambra is impressive. It's always making the list of um, 
of best places to see Arabic, Muslim, Moorish architecture, and it's well-deserved. It's up there with the Taj Mahal. And then from Granada, you could do a day trip to what's called the Alpujarra region, which is a region um, on the other side of the Sierra Nevada mountain range going toward Malaga. It's all these beautiful little villages, again, that produce crafts and food. So that's a nice place to go from Granada. Um, so what are we at? I think we gave ourselves three, three, three. I mean, right there, that would be a great a great overview of Andalusia. Of course, you don't want to skip Cordoba as well. Um, a few days in the city and then a few days perhaps going to see some of the little towns outside of Cordoba. Zujeros is beautiful. It's actually the region's um, cheese making and olive oil making region. You can stop and do olive oil sampling. And the cool thing about a lot of these towns are they are really typical Spanish towns. They have castles on the top of the hill. And especially the ones that are less traveled, sometimes you can get these places pretty much all to yourself, which is amazing. Tell me one place like that that I can get what like for myself. I mean, when I was in Alvera last September, two Septembers ago, I don't know, time has failed me during quarantine. Yeah. Um, we were pretty much the only people there and we we had the castle to ourselves. Um, some of the towns in the Sierra de Aracena, which is in Huelva province, also have that that, you know, that feeling of it's just you. So Again, it's really about getting off the beaten path and finding these places that people don't necessarily go to that aren't on everyone's radar um, and, and, and exploring. All right. That's, it, it seems like you, you know a lot already. I mean, like, whoa. Um, what, can you tell us something? I mean, for this place looks amazing, actually. I have never heard about this place. And it makes sense to be fair to have these castles because you know it's the south of Spain. It's you know very close to Africa. You know, you know there were enemies in Africa coming to Spain. I mean, it, it makes it makes sense. So, can you tell us something more about any place? Like, is there any like cu curious facts or some history? Can you can you tell us a bit more? I mean, Andalusia itself is full of history, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, You know, there's a lot of castles, a lot of forts because um, they were built by the Moors to keep everybody's trying to was trying to keep everyone out throughout history. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of and like, of course, the Jews had a huge, huge role in Andalus culture up until 1492. The best place to see that is, um, well, Cordoba is a really great place, but there's a town called Lucena, which is it used to be made up of an entirely Jewish population. Oh. Then eventually the Muslims moved in and they lived in harmony with one another as they did on and off throughout Spanish history up until the Inquisition. It's really the only time in history when, you know, unfortunately, when Jews and Muslims were able to live in harmony next to each other. And it's such a beautiful chapter. Um, so you see a lot of remnants of that. And I mean, there's just, it's, there's history everywhere you look. Like some of these places that just have these crumbling old city walls that maybe just have like a piece of it left or some ruins, that's history. Something happened there. Um, when the Catholics when the Catholics took over, for lack of a better word, after 1492 and built their churches on top of old mosques and synagogues, mm -hmm. it was actually, it was really tragic in a way because, you know, all these old places were destroyed mm -hmm. um, or were, you know, for example, in Cordoba, It, um, it's a beautiful old mosque with now a huge church in the middle of it. But um, it, it's the history, the building upon and the building upon and the mix and clash of cultures that you see all over the region. It's, it's really very special. Does that answer your question? It, well, in, in a way, I was, I was hoping for, I mean, I, I understand that. And I went there, I, I went for a, you know, tours in the city and I understand that. Like everywhere we walked, there was something to see from a different era. Like it was phenomenal. I really, and for a person who loves history, I understand that. I was, when I asked the question, I was kind of hoping for something more specific, like some story that you know that, you know, can make us well. Yeah. So, um, for example, if you go to the town of, in, of Montefrio, it's in Granada province, yeah. very, very off the beaten path. I like to call it a Pueblo with a skyline because it has a, a church 
and a castle, and they're kind of facing one another. But the church um, is one of, is the only um, Moorish round church left in Spain today. Ooh. So yeah, you can see it in that picture right there. You see the castle up mm-hmm. on the hill, and then you know, kind of facing the church. And um, that church is really special because it's really the only place to see that kind of circular design of Moorish. Uh, it, you know, it was a Moorish building at one point. Now it's a church. It, then it became a church. But um, something like that. I mean, something like that you're not going to see anywhere else mm. but in this part of the world. Well, so basically, the Christians were destroying the the Moorish uh, architecture, and they were building over them. So that destroying. Yeah, in a way, destroying, building over them, and copying them as well. So that that one they left on purpose, or what happened? Um, I could not. I don't know the exact story. I just know that it's the only remaining circular church in Spain. There's, I can tell you the story. The story of the Mesquita, which is not off the beaten path, but it's um, it's it's a really interesting one okay, yeah. because it was one of the ones where. It was this beautiful old mosque. You can still see it today. I mean, you see those iconic arches. And um, after the Inquisition, it became the cathedral of Cordoba. And as soon as they finished constructing it, luckily they didn't destroy the mosque. They just built on top of it. But one of the architects at the time agreed that, wow, we might have destroyed something that was absolutely beautiful. So it just goes to show that, you know, conquering and building on top of old beautiful architecture with your religion might not always be the best way <laughs> i see i see yeah this is this is amazing again i didn't know about this place but it looks really 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 amazing really good. um i could also tell you a story about granada province off the beaten path if you're yes interested. yes yes please just just keep those <laughs> stories going uh coming keep them coming oh. yeah, no problem go ahead so um so legend has it, you know, this is all legend has uh-huh. it. So the last uh, Moorish ruler of Granada and of Spain, because Granada, of course, is where is where it all kind of ended, where the Inquisition began and the keys were handed over to um, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand. Yeah. But the last Moorish ruler of Granada, his name was Bovadil, and he was very beloved by the people. Um, he lived in the Palace of the Alhambra, which, by the way, is my dream to live somewhere like that. <laughs> How he, Palace after, of? Well, the Alhambra. He lived in the Alhambra in in, in Granada, and um, legend has it that after he was exiled from Granada with his mother, he went up into the hills above Granada, which there's actually a marker on the side of the road. It's very hard to find. You need a car. Um, I did the research and found it. It's called the um, it's called the Sigh of the Moor. And legend has it from that mark from that spot. You can't really see Granada from it today because you know more was built up. But he looked down upon the city of Granada and cried. And his mother scolded him for crying and said, "Don't cry like a woman for something that you couldn't defend like a man or something (laughs) incredibly like that." And uh, you can still see it. The markers on the road. You can't see Granada from it, but legend has it that that's where. You know the last more the last Moorish Moorish Sultan of Spain went into exile and looked down upon his beloved city and shed a tear oh. after the after the Christians had taken over in 1492. Oh, beautiful story! Beautiful story. Um, anything else? Keep as I said, keep those stories going. If you have something, something else, keep the stories going. History, I mean, everywhere, everywhere you look. Um, for example, in the Sierra de Aracena, in the, which is in Huelva province, I think I mentioned it before. Um, I was just flipping through a guidebook several years ago in Spanish, and I noticed that there was a mosque in a town called Almanastar el Real. And I said, oh, I need to go there because it, it, it included that they had some of the arches kind of similar to Cordoba. So, of course, I rented a car. I went up there. Absolutely beautiful and secluded. Um hasn't been a has nothing was built on top of it. It didn't become a church, and um, so it was just kind of left. But it, in ruins, it's not a working mosque mm-hmm. or anything like that. I was the only one in there, and the arches inside were not, you know, as upkept as the ones in Cordoba. But you could see the same architecture, and I was in this beautiful building by myself, 
attached to it was it's the Tom's Bullring. Um, so you can just walk out onto the open Bullring and then you can look down at the view below town. So there are still places like that that you can find in Andalusia that are just incredibly historical, very, very special, and haven't been, you know, used for letter, lack, of letter, uh, lack of better term for years. Okay. All right. Um, so what would you say is, uh, I would suppose, when you compare the food, uh, you enjoy it better than the one in USA? It's tough. I'm a vegetarian, okay. full disclosure. So um, I do have a lot of limits as to what I can eat. But the food in Spain is amazing. Mm. And the food in Andalusia, it's not top rated in the country. If you're a real foodie, you definitely want to go to the north. Um, San Sebastian, which is in Basque country, Asturias, Galicia, best food in Spain. Uh, no argument there. However, <laughs> the food in Andalusia is a tradition within itself, and it's amazing. Um, some of the best jamón, from what I'm told, because again, I'm vegetarian, mm -hmm. comes from that region. It comes from the Sierra de Aracena, as well as Cordoba province. Mm -hmm. um, olive oil, Cayenne province is world, world famous for that. You can just see olive trees for miles, for kilometers, I should say. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Anywhere in Andalusia, but the best olive oil in the world does come from Hain. Um, again, I talked about the samorejo and the gazpacho. Those are both cold tomato-based soups. Mm -hmm. Really, really refreshing in the summer, especially now. I would, I would give for some samorejo right now from Andalusia. Um, very, you know, all made with locally sourced ingredients. Very, very simple in terms of what's used. Not a bunch of processed things. Um, Andalusia also has the tradition of, of Sephardic food, which is traditional Spanish Jewish food. So in Cordoba, you can actually eat at a Sephardic restaurant. Um, the eggplant, which is drizzled with honey and a little bit of balsamic vinegar, lightly fried, is amazing. It's one of my favorite dishes. You can also get what they call Sephardic cookies for dessert. Even if you grew up in a Jewish household in the United States or in the United Kingdom, you'll see like a lot of what your grandma used to make in that. So really, really, really good culinary tradition. Um, and I think I mentioned at the beginning of the interview that Andalusia is kind of where the free tapa originated. Yes. Granada holds claim to that. And literally, you can go into any of these tapas bars in Granada. And if you're not picky really have a full meal. You don't get to choose what they bring you, but they'll bring you a huge plate of something. Usually it's meat. Um, I've started, you know, requesting a una tapa vegetariana, which is usually met with, okay, um, you know, sometimes they'll bring me some cheese. Sometimes they completely ignore it and bring me a plate of jamón anyway. But it's great for my friends who I travel mm -hmm. with or when my family comes to visit because they get to eat all the tapas. Um, Andalusia also has a really great culture of cheese making, as does a lot of Spain. Um, it's mostly sheep cheese, and it's mostly from Cordoba province in um, in the in the town of Zuhar in Zuharos. There's also I'm just trying to think on my feet here. Yep, there's also in from Cadiz province, uh, the town of Grasalema makes this wonderful cheese called uh, Peyoyo, which is it's amazing. It's um, sheep and it might be sheep and goat combo. I would need to check the specific specifications of that. But again, great food all over. If you want to talk about wine, we can talk about the sherry bodegas down in Jerez. We will go to drinks in just a second. Okay. So this is... So we're still talking about... Yeah. That's payo. So this is yeah. the payo your cheese. This is... Payo cheese, yeah. Is that the best cheese you ever tried? I can't, it's picking my favorite cheese is like picking my favorite child. I think some of my favorite kind of cheese. What a comparison. But um, it's it's a really good one. The okay. first time I had Yo-Yo, I was blown away by it. I did not expect such good cheese to come out of the Sierra okay. de Cadiz. But this cheese, is yeah. it in whole Spain, this cheese? Because I haven't seen it. No, that it's... So a lot of the cheeses in Spain are... Um, are, you know, originate from a certain place and are only made there by law, too. So you can buy the cheese anywhere in Spain, especially in a bigger city like Madrid or Barcelona. But um, 
you could also get it locally at the markets there. But I mean, if you really want to see where it's made, yeah, you would have to go down to the Sierra de Cadiz. Okay, makes sense. And this is yeah. the eggplant meal you, you mentioned that is so good. Um, let's see. Yeah, usually it's in strips um, and kind of lightly fried. But so basically, it's eggplant strips, lightly fried, uh, with some veggies fried. on the side and cheese on the top, melted. Um, usually no cheese. It's usually drizzled in honey, really lightly, honey. and balsamic vinegar sometimes. Mm. It's so so amazing. Interesting. Yeah, and there's a place in uh, Cordoba. It's called uh, Casa Masal. It's a Spartak restaurant. I think that they have the best that I've tried. But you can get it pretty much in any local bar. Okay. So what are the few vegetarian options that you can eat in under, because I know that they Spanish people, they love their jamon. Like you go, you go on the streets and you see jamon on the streets everywhere. Like they love their jamon. So in, in your opinion, because <laughs> in your opinion, because you're a vegetarian and I'm sure some people that are listening are also vegetarians. Uh, what are your, let's say, two favorite vegetarian dishes in Spain? Um, so in the south of Spain, definitely the eggplant. It's amazing. Salmorejo, um, a lot of times though, you just want to specify, don't put ham on it. So when I order it at a restaurant, I always you know, say salmorejo sin jamón. Mm-hmm. And if you're vegan, without eggs, so sin huevo. Because sometimes they put a little ham or a little bit of egg on top of it just to mix in. But um, they'll, that's one that they'll happily comply with usually. Um, a lot of people will tell you gazpacho. There's a running debate all over Spain. What's better, gazpacho or salmorejo? I prefer salmorejo. It's made with bread, um, tomatoes, and garlic kind of all blended together. So you can't really go wrong with those ingredients. But gazpacho is a little lighter. It doesn't have the bread in it. So some people would prefer that. I say salmorejo. They're both very, very vegetarian friendly, though. And of course, if you're not vegan, I'm not. Um, cheese, mm-hmm. amazing. And any, you know, fresh vegetables as well. You can, any market, any local market, you're going to find a variety of fresh fruit, fruits and vegetables. Yeah, that's it. That's a salmorejo. So, oh, gazpacho, exactly. Gazpacho versus salmorejo. <laughs> I prefer, I'm on team salmorejo all the way. Um, but again, it's kind of like, some people are going to have different preferences and they're both delicious. Let's put it that way. And both refreshing. Chilled. Both so refreshing. Yeah. They're a seasonal dish. They're um, spring, summer, early fall. Uh-huh. You can still get it down there in the winter, but really some of the restaurants do, st- do stick to seasonality and that's a summer thing. Okay. And lastly, before we go to, to wines, um, we mentioned like pick free, 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 free days, you know, like altogether about 10 days. What do you think is the best, because we mentioned it's really hot. What do you think is the best time of the year to visit that area? Spring, uh, early May is my is my favorite time for a, a number of reasons. The weather's amazing. Um, it's It does start to get hot, especially in Sevilla and Cordoba, which are both really the frying pans of Spain. But you still have nice days at that time of year. And there's also a really, it's a good time for festivals. For example, Cordoba's uh, La Fiesta de los Patios, which is my favorite festival in all of Spain. We were supposed to have an event for it, for my company and for Travel Spain this year, but that got canceled next year. We're doing it live next year. Um, It's a really, really special time in Cordoba because all of these homeowners of these traditional Andalus patios open up their gardens for the world to see and they have a contest and they judge them. And you basically get to go into people's private homes and gardens and just look around at the decorations and the vegetation. And it's beautiful. And these were built in traditional Moorish style. So, you know, the water is a big thing. Um, Having an area of the home that's refreshing, even in the heat, it really, it's like built in air conditioner. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I I remember I saw about uh, that, festival in the Facebook group and there was quite a lot of fuss you know many people in the group were saying oh it's so unfortunate oh maybe next year I'm hoping next year I'm gonna see it uh can you tell us a bit more about this festival something else sure well for one it's free which is amazing um and you yeah (laughs) and you can pick up a map 
at the visitor center, and it's usually made up of six routes. Six what? All around the old parts of Cordoba. Six routes, six routes. Okay. All over, okay. um, all over the old part of Cordoba. So all over the Centro Historico, not just near the Mesquita. There is a route that goes right through there, but you really, if you explore all six of them, you really get to go see different parts of the historic center of Cordoba away from the tourists. Um, and how it works is you go from patio to patio or house to mm -hmm. house, I should say. And they only allow a certain number of people in at a time. So sometimes you have to wait in a short line. We'll see how that is post COVID. But, um, <laughs> and you just get to really admire the patios. Usually the homeowners who are always like, you know, older people and who are, who have lived there forever, you know, sitting in the rocking chair, so proud of their patio. There's a big contest so you can vote on your favorite. At the same time, there's also a contest of like the prettiest balconies, the ones that do the most flowers and, you know, do it right. So it's just really when Cordoba comes to life and is filled with flowers and it's a really local atmosphere too. Up until about two or three years ago, not many foreign tourists knew about it. Now it's kind of growing a little more in popularity, but still it's nothing like running of the bulls, for example. Is it your fault? Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it what? Is it, is it your fault? Did you, popular, did you popularize it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that would be a huge, um, a huge win for me. But no, I think just because it, it, it you know, how the internet is, mm, how Instagram yeah, is, somebody posts a photo of it and it goes viral mm -hmm. and, the, the thing about La Fiesta de los Patios is it is perfect for photos. It's perfect for Instagram. It is so incredibly aesthetic, so colorful, so beautiful. Mm. Architecture nerds like myself love it. Um, the flowers, the vegetation, the use of water, the use of fountains. It's just, it's a it's such a special time to be there. And you want to give yourself a few days in Cordoba proper if you're going for it, if you really want to see everything. Because what you, you're not, the patios aren't open all day during the heat of the day, they're shut. They're open in the morning and in the evening. And if you really want to do all six routes, um, you want to give yourself some time. So three days, I would say, for just that. Okay. So when is this usually happening? It's generally, um, historically, it's been the first two weeks of May of every year. First two weeks of May. So, okay. yeah. So it's um, every morning and every every evening the patios are open free to the public. Of course, weekends tend to be a little more crowded mm -hmm. because a lot of Spaniards come from other parts of the country to see it and do a weekend trip. Um, you definitely want to book accommodation in advance if you're going, especially for the weekend, but it's a really special time to be down there. And of course, a lot of people make the mistake of going to Cordoba simply a day trip from Seville. I think that that's a huge mistake. Cordoba has a lot of things to see, other than the Mesquita. And it's just a beautiful city to wander around and explore. You could rent a car and do some day trips again off the beaten path to that cheese making region of Zujeros that we were talking about. Um, there's a few others. I have, yeah, I have a blog. I can link it. Yeah, can, of course. Can, of course. Send it. I can link it to you when you want. But yeah, there's lots to see and do there too. So don't just use it as a day trip from Seville, no matter what time of year you're going. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I actually, so because I went to Seville, we spent there three days, then went to Malaga three, four days there as well. It, it was never the plan to go just for one day. It was the idea That's to good. go for a few days. We just couldn't fit it in the schedule. Um, and good. the way you describe this carnival, it, it already sounds fantastic because if they put a like a competition and a prize for the best patio and best balcony like everybody like from the walk of the competing like there will be i can imagine it's, it's going to be so beautiful now now you make me want to see it so good they get into it <laughs> good well you should definitely go early may of next year hopefully things will be back to normal by then um yeah i mean it's and it's definitely bragging rights for the people who live there people proudly display, display, I can't speak English today, <laughs> proudly display their plaques that they've, their, you know, their prize plaques that they've earned from 10, 20, 30 years ago, like best patio, best historic patio, best, you know, this, that. So yeah, it's definitely a friendly competition between neighbors and it's a great time to be down there. It's again, it's just so Andalus. If you think about it, a lot of the patios sometimes You'll see flamenco dancers or people playing Spanish guitar. Really special. Hmm. Okay. Well, 
thanks a lot. Uh, now I know, May, I should try and get to Spain. Um, what about the wine then? Let's see about the wine. Yeah. So, I mean, unlike the North, um, it's, you know, La Rioja is probably Spain's most famous wine region, or maybe uh, like the area around the Rio Duero. But Andalusia has some, some interesting things going on. Um, they have a specific wine from Cadiz, which is a little Swedish, but not overly bearing. But if you like sweet wine, mm-hmm. you have to go to Jerez de la Frontera. Jerez actually means sherry in Spanish. So it's the land of the sherry bodegas. And if you want to talk about cities off the beaten path, Jerez de la Frontera is definitely one of those. Um, It's in Cadiz province. It's actually where the airport for Cadiz is, but most people don't, it's not on a lot of people's radar. And you can go to some of these sherry bodegas and arrange tastings. And again, feel like, you know, you're not being shepherded around from site to site to site where you are in like some of the more famous wine countries of the world. Um, it, they always have a very like Andalus tradition. Um, they use, you know, the barrels, you always see the big barrels and, you know, you see the women fanning themselves. The area also has a huge equestrian tradition. So you combine the horses, which makes it even more Spanish. And Well, you, and you can ride the horse. Yeah, you can. Well, yeah, you can ride horses, not, Bodega de Vega. I mean, you might be able to. I don't think I'd recommend that. But you can go to equestrian shows as well. It's that region of Spain where that all originated as well. So um, really, really beautiful part of the country. But for sherry lovers, absolutely necessary. Just get a designated driver because you <laughs> do not realize how quickly that goes down. Okay, so you say that so La Roja is up north north of Spain. You say that's the probably the most famous uh, wine region in Spain. I would say so. Historically speaking, yes. Um, you know, when people, especially when people from outside of Spain think about Spanish mm-hmm. wine, a lot of times it's a lot. It's from the La Rioja region. Yes. Okay, but but when it comes to Uh, Andalusian wine, oh. you you would say go to Cadiz. Go to go to yeah, Jerez de la Frontera for um, the sherry is really where it's at. Is is Andalusia's winemaking center? Malaga has a small wine growing region. It's not the most famous or the most popular, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, when I think of Andalus wine, I think of Jerez de la Frontera, the sherry. Okay. Because it's just very, it's it's kind of like port wine is to Porto. It's it's the same thing. It's it's just part of the region, and it, it, Jerez would not be Jerez without the without the without the sherry. I mean, Jerez means sherry. I see. Okay, so definitely the one of the top things to do when you go to that city. Yeah, if you if you like to drink, definitely. Yeah. If you like good wine, definitely. Yeah, probably that explains that. Uh... Tio Pepe, yeah. That, who, who is that? Tio Pepe is a, is a, it's a big um, sherry maker. And there's actually a big Tio Pepe sign in central Madrid. So that's something that has kind of like taken hold in Andalusia, but has been really exported to, to a whole other parts of Spain and other parts of the world. Oh, okay. So he was originated in Cadiz, like he's from? In Cadiz, in, in Jerez de la Frontera, uh-huh. yeah. Okay, perfect. That is fabulous. All right. Anything else you think we would uh, need to cover? By the way, um, when I, because I've been mainly to Barcelona, I visited Madrid as well. I've been to Barcelona and they're really touristy and, you know, you, you're going to need to spend some euros. But when you went to, to Sevilla, um, you find how pleasant the prices are. <laughs> yeah. Andalusia is definitely less expensive than um, Barcelona, which is, probably the most expensive part of Spain. Mm. Um, and even, you know, Sevilla is more expensive than some of the places more off the beaten path. But yeah, you're going to, it's, it's, it's a great, it's still a great travel bargain too. And I think that that's part of what makes it so, you know, alluring to visitors from overseas. You really get a lot for your money in those parts. And just another reason to visit Andalusia. Absolutely. There's so many reasons. And I and I think from what I've seen, uh, because I was traveling a lot, well, a lot in a way, uh, 
the locals, I like more Sevilla because I think there were more locals there. I mean, it was still touristy, but it was more local. When, when Malaga, yes. probably because of the sea, I saw yeah. a lot, a lot of tourists. Uh, and I and I really yeah. enjoyed it. Probably that was part of the reason. And the people were, in general, friendly. People are very, very friendly in the south of Spain. They have a reputation for, for being friendly, for oh. being funny, for being kind of like jovial, especially Cadiz. Cadiz people have a reputation Spain-wide for their sense of humor. Some love it, some hate it. We'll leave it at that. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a very, very friendly part of the country. And I think your observations about Malaga were spot on because it is by the sea. There's a big foreigner community there. So like, there's a lot of people from Northern Europe who live there, a lot of British people who live there by the sea. But Sevilla... It's, it has more of a local flavor. Malaga is a great city, though. It has a great art scene, mm-hmm. fairly new art scene, but a really good one. And you're close to some really nice beaches. So don't discount Malaga based on that. But there's definitely so much to see in Andalusia beyond the Costa del Sol. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure there are some small villages uh, on the sea that you can visit that are also not that populated with tourists. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder I on the imagine. <laughs> I will say that there's some areas in El Maria province, uh, especially near the Cabo de Gata, which are a little less built up. That's actually one of Spain's only desert, where desert meets the sea. Ooh. There's a really beautiful town. I don't think I would describe it as off the beaten path yeah. anymore, but it's definitely less traveled, which, you know, my company is called Spain Less Traveled. Mm-hmm. It's called Nerja. And it's um, east of Malaga. So if you go west of Malaga City, that's where really the big resorts start coming, like Torre Molina, it's all the way down to Marbella. But Nerja is really special because for a few reasons, you can go kayaking in the caves of Nerja, beautiful, beautiful water, beautiful beaches. And um, one of Spain's prettiest towns is just above Nerja. You can drive up there, take the bus, or if you're really ambitious, hike up there. It's called uh, Frijuliana, which is like this beautiful whitewashed village that overlooks the Mediterranean. Is that what you're talking about with the kayaking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go kayaking in the caves of Nerja. That must really, be really some experience. Yeah, it, it's it's a great experience. And I like that town because even though I don't want to say it's off the beaten path mm-hmm. because it's not. There, it does have a big expat community, a big you know community of vacationers who come from other parts of Europe. But Nerja, at the same time, really managed to retain, retain a lot of its Spanish charm in the town itself. Even though parts of the beach do have the you know built-up newer hotels and resorts, the town itself is really quaint and beautiful and friendly. So definitely recommend it, especially it's a great day trip from Malaga. I recommend spending a few days there. I actually prefer to be based in Nerja and do day trips otherwhere, other places, mm-hmm. but um, it's, yeah, it's really easily accessible to get to from both Malaga and Granada. And then if you want more off the beaten path beaches, as I mentioned, um, the Costa de la Luz and Cadiz province mm-hmm. has a lot of those, as does the Huelva province. Nobody visits Huelva. The beaches are on the Atlantic side, so they're not quite that like crystal clear Mediterranean oh, okay. water, but they're a little chiller than what you'd find in like Torre Molenos or Marbella or, you know, it, areas in Costa del Sol that are just so built up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfecto. That was great. Do you think there's anything else we need to touch? I mean, I think we talked about it all not all that you can spend a lifetime of in course, Andalusia and not talk about it all. But considering, you know, the, the time constraints of a podcast, yeah. um, the Jewish history, the Moorish history, the, you know, when the, the, the Christian history, how they all kind of converge, um, the Roman history, we touched on a little bit as well, mm-hmm. the food, the drink, the spots that are just really special kind of where you can get away from everything. I highly, highly recommend renting a car if you can, even if it's not for the full time. Some of my clients, I just rent a car for them for a day or two from Sevilla, from Cadiz, from Cordoba, from Granada, and then go explore on your own. It's There is public transportation, but 
it's not as frequent and it doesn't reach some of the places a little bit more off the beaten Mm. path. Okay. And lastly, for wrapping up, I think maybe you can tell a bit more about your services. How is this working? So people find your website and they contact you Mm -hmm. and then you make basically a travel plan for them. Yeah, so we we do a a consultation and I find out what their interests are, what they want to see and do, what their, you know, dream trip to Spain sounds like in their head for them, because we're all really different. Just like I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, if you're really into food and you're a foodie, I'd probably recommend going to the north of Spain Mm -hmm. and we could put together an itinerary for that. So we sit down together over over Skype, over Zoom, everything's, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, everything's online. And um, I get an idea of what you're looking for, what your budget is, what your time frame is, what places that you've read about in Spain that you have to see, like what I know that I have to include on your itinerary. Um, because if I had my way, I probably wouldn't include Barcelona as much as I do on people's itineraries. But a lot of people really want to see it. And the Gaudi architecture is amazing. There's no doubt. No doubt. So um, from there, I basically write them an itinerary. We Lodging is based on what they're looking for, what their budget is. I've worked with clients everywhere from staying in dorm rooms and hostels to staying at five-star hotels. Um, We can work it around your budget. And then, um, yeah, I basically deliver the itinerary. And it's really for people who are traveling alone. I'm not a tour guide. I'm not going to meet you in Sevilla and say, hey, I'm Karen. I'm here to take you on your trip. Um, I'll get it all set up for you. I'll help you get your train tickets. I'll get your bus tickets. If you're renting a car, we'll get that arranged for you. You'll have everything written down for you, but you're on your own. And that's great because Spain's a great country to explore without a tour group. You don't need a guide here. Yes, it's true that not as many people speak English as they do in northern parts of Europe, but everybody's really friendly. You can get around and in the areas that there are more travelers. You'll always find someone who speaks some English. So it's a safe country to travel in, an easy country to travel in. I just put it all together for my clients and really deliver them this the Spain trip of their dreams, the Spain trip that they've always envisioned, which is personalized for them. Um, one of my niche markets is, is Jew, Jewish Spain, Spartic Spain. And I do a lot of trips that basically bring people to where Jewish history really comes alive here. So it all really depends on what my client is looking for, how long they have, who they are as a traveler. Yeah, and that makes um, that makes perfect sense because I'm doing walking tours in London. It's a bit opposite. Oh, yeah. It's a bit opposite on what you're doing because I meet the people like, hey, I'm Pavel, I'm going to be your guide. <laughs> and I often get the messages, hey, I, I want to have a walking tour in London, you know, can I, can I book you? And like, okay, but let's talk. Like, what do you, what do you, what want? Do you want to see? Like, what do you want to do? If you're not interested in art, it not make, makes no sense to bring you to the gallery and show you the, you know, the Van Gogh. So it's, it's really, really important to, you know, figure out what people want to see and then meet their expectations and even better, you know, go above their expectations. Yeah. Yes. And if, and yeah. also I work with um, a lot of independent guides like you, a lot of people who offer, really cool independent experiences mm-hmm. all over Spain. So I, I string those together in the itinerary. Um, food tours, walking tours, wine tours, you know, cheese tours, you name it, I can put it in the itinerary for you. I have a network of travel partners all over the country yeah. who who work really locally in there. Makes areas. makes perfect sense. And speaking of that, if you want, I can connect you to a local tour guide from Sevilla. His name is Jose. Uh, yeah. that is if you if you wish to have more uh, I, I'm always looking for more context especially for unique experiences I love your mindset that's that's the way it has to be uh, and, yes. and then you said uh, th- then you said that people in South Spain maybe don't speak that much English but that's a perfect excuse for the people visiting Spain to learn some Spanish <laughs> yeah learn some Spanish and really embrace that Andalus accent because it's a thick one. Luckily, I started studying Spanish in Granada, so I still have an ear for that accent. But they basically cut off and or swallow the last letters of every word. Adio, adiego. But it's 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 fun and it's interesting and people are patient and body language gets you a long way too. Like mm-hmm. I've had clients come in who don't speak a word of Spanish and have been able to communicate perfectly. 
Yeah, body language is a big thing. It, it basically yeah, when you communicate, body language is about 60-70%. So if you just watch out for if they're pointing something, like you don't need to understand verbally what they're saying, just you know, see what they're pointing. Fabulous. Totally. And people are very kind and patient yeah. down there. And once Spain's ready, we're gonna be so happy to welcome the world back. We're all waiting to. We really want to be able to welcome our visitors back. It's been a hard couple of months. Um 12% of our economy is tourism. So you can imagine right now, and especially in parts of Spain like Andalusia, which are very, very dependent on tourism, we want people to come back. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping that soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping as well, crossing my fingers, because yeah. Spain is yeah. Spain is really on in my heart. And then I think at some point in my life, I'll probably move to Spain, you know, not saying anything yet. Mm -hmm. But let's see. Okay, um, I think it's about, you know, we're about to finish. But before we go, can I ask you to share just one story of you communicating with people or you traveling in Spain, something? I just want to hear a story from you. Communicating with people, traveling in Spain. Oh, God. Um, sure. <laughs> I'm like, which, 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 which one do I, do I want to share? Okay. So, um, there's so many, this doesn't sound good. No. There's so many, I mean, I have so much, so much history in Spain. Uh -huh. Um, huh, I think I want to share a good one. Not the time I broke my foot in Cadiz and quickly learned medical Spanish Whoa. in the emergency room. Um, yeah, that was, that was a fun time. Um, one story that comes to mind. I mean, there's, there's so many. Okay. Um, so I'm a big fan clearly of, of going to places that tourists don't take, you know, typically go to. Yep. I love it. I thrive on it. I love, love the small villages in Spain more than anything. That's really where my heart is. So, um, I was on a road trip in the Sierra de Aracena, which I've mentioned a few times. It's in the Pueblo province. It's this, these beautiful villages in the mountains, lots of outdoor activities as well, um, a rich tradition of like ceramics and some of the Spain's best jamón comes from there. I never got to try it, but you get the point. And I remember stumbling into this, this little, little town, uh, I think it was Linares de Sierra, and they had not seen somebody from outside of Spain in maybe ever. And they didn't quite know what to do with me. Like, um, you know, this loud, short person who's passionate about Spanish, who does speak Spanish, but with a very American accent, because I'm not a native Spanish speaker, trying to order food and explaining to them, no, I'm a vegetarian. Yeah, I want to try that, but not that. And I mean, it was just one of those moments of real human connection, like, Everyone in that bar must have been over 80 years old, probably lived in that town all their life, hadn't gotten out of that town since, I don't know, maybe Franco was in charge, wow. um, and and didn't quite know what to do with me. But at the end of the meal, at the end of my time there, it was all smiles and laughter and just a really welcoming atmosphere. So, I mean, I stuck out like a sore thumb solo female traveler from the U.S. but lives in Spain and knows a lot about Spain and passionate about Spain. But it was like they, they at first they thought I was very out of place and didn't quite know what to do. But by the end, everyone was, oh, you know, we were all chatting and, and talking about our lives and maybe having a little too much Cruz Campo, which is the local beer in Andalusia. But yeah, is it, it was a good time. Is it Maine in Sevilla? Yeah, Cruz Campos from Sevilla. Yeah, I get remember. It's, it's not my favorite Spanish beer, but on a hot day when it's available, the only, you know, unlike in other parts of the world, like the UK or the US, there's not normally 25 beers on tap in Spain. It, it is yeah. what it is. Yeah. So. <laughs> so these people in the village, I would you think that they met a vegetarian for the first time in their life? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of my Spaniard friends have, have met their first vegetarian a lot of time if, you know one of my with my with my ex-boyfriend his his mother actually said to me um that uh, that vegetarians don't get married and what? i was like well that's okay i don't want to marry your son anyways 
Um, yeah, a lot of people here don't know quite what to do with vegetarianism. Madrid is really catching on, Barcelona as well. Most likely. Even in some of the smaller towns as well, there's always a bio store, mm. but it, it's been a little slower. So, yeah, it might have been these guys' first vegetarian in their lives. <laughs> I don't even know if they've heard the word vegetariana before they met me, but yeah, I can I can imagine some you know some of these guys going out of this place that you were you know having having lunch and going to their friends. Hey, come 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 see this lady. She doesn't eat meat. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no one guy was on his phone like talking about the Gary in the bar, and I was like, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, and they have such a thick accent down there, but. It was, it was a lot of fun. Okay, okay. Thanks for sharing that. And thank you for joining uh, for the episode. It was a real pleasure to learn more about Andalusia. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. No, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, thank you, Karen. Thank you for joining. And I wish you a fantastic day. Thank you. You too. And that's a wrap for yet another episode of the Curious Pavel podcast sessions. Before we finish completely, let me just tell you two things. First of all, thank you so much for listening to the whole episode. You are warming my heart. And the second one is, since you listen to this episode to the very end, that means you enjoy it. Well, don't be selfish and share this episode with other people. Before you close your app, really go and share this now. Open your phone, go to the episode, share it to your favorite platform. Don't be selfish, share it to other people. Let them learn something new about this country, about this city, about this place as well. Don't be selfish, share, 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 share. Thank you so much. If you're into visuals and it was by accident that you ended up on this podcast listening, if you prefer visuals, these episodes are also going on the YouTube channel, Curious Pavel. Thanks so much for listening again for the whole episode. Thank you so much for sharing. I wish you a fantastic day and I'll see you on the next episode.